Hello, world. Welcome to another week of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz coming at you. Sleaze, what an exciting golf tournament we had up in Las Vegas. The CJ Cup out at the Summit. Roy McIlroy picks up his 20th PGA Tour win. Yeah, uh, 128 on the weekend. Typically not a bad way to uh, get it done there. Would have loved to see the front nine on the coverage. We could talk about that yeah. in a little bit there, but we didn't get to see a ton of it. But Rory looked like, I mean, especially on the weekend, Looked like the Rory we've been waiting to see for forever. You know, it's the guy you expect. You're just hitting hammers off the tee. Nice little uh, smooth, what, 177 ball speed with a three-wood over and over. Yeah, carried 320 yards, but he was ended up number two in strokes gained off the tee for the week. Number one in putting, which does not happen very often for him, but 25 under with, with a triple bogey, by the way, with early in the week. With a triple on 17 day one, still shot a 68. Yeah, he's hitting like 164 ball speed with his hybrid, but I thought he looked great on the greens. It just looked like... You know, there was no technique involved. It's like he was just hitting shots. When he gave his interviews after the round, he started talking about, like, look, I got away from what I do, and I started getting a little more technical. I started trying to be somebody else, which I found shocking because I think if you took a poll of all the PJ Tour players, like, who's the guy that you look at and be like, man, I'd like to be able to do that? It'd be Rory McIlroy. And then there he is trying to, you know, do something else. But, you know, is are we going to start seeing Rory win three, four, five times a year like we have in the past? Maybe. It's been a while. But, I mean, if he goes out there and, and – Puts it the way he did this past week, damn, I mean, <laughs> becomes a really, really hard guy to beat. Yeah, hasn't won a major in seven years, looking to end that streak this coming season, but it's good to see him back in the winner's circle. He put on a show, you know, I think a lot of people might have criticized the scores a little bit for how low they were around the summit. I said going in, this place, they're going to torch it. It's not, it's not built for a PGA Tour event. That's one thing I don't think people understand is this is a Discovery Land property that is made for their members to have a good time on. Not to try to Test the best players in the world. Especially set up at a par 72. That was what surprised me. I thought they'd move it to a par 70. All right, cool. You knock off eight, and all of a sudden, 17 under wins. It's like, oh, yeah, that's fairly normal. But, yeah, these are, like you said, Discovery Land properties. They're set up for comfort stations, good times. Remember guests, go out with your boys. And you give them a Sunday like they had with no wind. They actually got a little bit of wind the first couple of days, at least enough to, you know, play a little bit of tricks with on them. But uh, that's what you're going to get, dude. I mean, there, it seemed like there was a 10 under every single round. I mean, Rory shooting it bunch of guys shooting at um, Taylor Gooch in the final round too with a nice little hole out there on 18 that uh, made him some money but yeah I mean 25 under that's what you get him on a resort golf course with no wind on the weekend more or less perfect perfect greens and that's what they're gonna do and now Rory's a lifetime member on the PGA Tour once not he plays yet his 15th season 23 24 he'll be in there so that's nice he doesn't have to worry about uh, going down to the Corn Ferry Tour that's got to be a huge relief for him yeah but I know we were rooting hard to pick up another win for golf subpar with our guy Ricky Fowler. Held a two-shot lead at, through 54 holes. Final round, one under par 71 to end up finishing tied for third. Just didn't quite have it on Sunday. But listen, it was a step in the right direction. I think he's got to take a lot of positives away from this week. Yeah, mostly I thought in the final round was with the putter. He just didn't seem to hold the putts. It, it wasn't great all week, but he was hitting it so good. The thing that I took away most from Rick, and I think he's had a big problem with in the last year or so, is the driver. You just can't beat these guys. You're not going to beat a Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, these guys, if you're not driving it long and straight. And he drove it really, really well yesterday. 12 of 14 fairways. I think at least one of his missed fairways was with a three-wood. But, I mean, Both he was hitting are. rockets out there. 350, even the hole he made double on on six, 350 in the middle of the fairway. Ended up making a seven from there. But, like, if he can continue that form, driving it that way, he can contend and he can win again. He's going to win again because you just can't do it driving it short and crooked or shorter and crooked. You got to be able to hit it out there with those guys, and he did it. He did it yesterday. I thought it was a, a big positive for Ricky, even though he didn't get it done. 
Yeah, it's just it's, it's funny to look back at his career. I mean, you know, he's held the 54-hole lead several times. I think it's eight in his career, and he's never once broken 70. And we're at a golf course where the field's averaging just above 68. You know, you know, you got to go low. That was a pretty disappointing round, I thought, for him yesterday. But listen, hopefully he builds on it. He's been struggling. He's felt him 128th in the world. Now he's up to 82nd. So trending in the right direction, trying to get in that top 50 so he can be back at Augusta National. But listen, Roy McIlroy, it's what we expect. He's back in the top 10 in the world. It's hard to believe he ever left the top 10 in the world with his game. Yeah. But I think both of these guys are set up for a big 2022. I thought Ricky Fowler, I'll be interested to get your take on this, just watching him yesterday. I know he's done a lot of work on his golf swing and things like that, but if you rewind it back in the past when he was probably playing his best golf, he played from a pretty laid off position, right? And I thought yesterday he does that little rehearsal where he gets it halfway back and it's online with his feet and his target and all that. But at the top, I felt like it was more laid off than I saw him even late last year when he wasn't playing his best golf. And I think he's just a guy that maybe plays best from that position and if he can just go back to doing what he does and maybe not get so caught up in the technique, just the same way Roy McIlroy said he did, I think he just let him do what he does because he's been the best guy, you know, one of the best players in the world from the time he was, you know, a kid all the way up until just recently. I think he just needs to get back to erasing that brain and hitting golf shots. But if he hits that driver the way he did this past week, he's got a big year coming. Yeah, he was number one in strokes gained off the tee. I believe number third in strokes gained approach. Led the field in greens and regulation. Only missed nine greens all week. So that's and that's the big thing we need to see. We need to see his ball striking turn around. When the putter gets going, he's got one of the best putting strokes in the world. When the putter gets going, he's going to contend. And I'm looking for him to keep this thing rolling into Japan this week and see what happens. But, please, what a guest we have this week. Yes. You know, one of the most interesting men in golf, Bryson DeChambeau. We've had his former caddy, Tim Tucker, on. Now we have his current caddy, Brian Ziegler, joining us, who used to work at Whisper Rock, then was, a head, was, uh, was one of the pros over at Dallas National, befriended Bryson and now he's carrying his bag he's been all over the place Florida Michigan Wyoming and yeah he just you know linked up with Chris Como at one point started berating him with text trying to get involved doing anything he can to help and boom fast forward a few years and now he's on the bag for Bryson DeChambeau so we do a deep dive in here we had Tim Tucker before talked about what it was like working with Bryson and then now we get kind of the new look and by the way just thrown into the fire yeah. right away just all of a sudden bam hey you're the caddy in waiting nope you're the caddy and here comes some big time events oh it's his first events the open championship um, you know, he's got the split with Tim Tucker. He's got the Brooks Kepka beef. WGC's and then, playoffs, yeah. I believe his sixth event as a caddy was the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool story for Brian Ziegler. But before we get to him, did you know major champions John Rahm and Phil Mickelson both play the Callaway Chrome Soft X? Chrome Soft X is incredible through the wind, but still workable. Plus, it delivers amazing green side action. The standard Chrome Soft offers soft feel and short game control. And the new Chrome Soft XLS is for players who prefer the firmest feel and lower spin on full shots. Chrome Soft isn't just better for major champions. It's better for everyone. Find your Chrome Soft at CallawayGolf.com slash Chrome Soft. All right, here's Brian Ziegler on Golf Subpar. All right, this man with us here today has had a hell of a year. He went from teaching pro to caddy and waiting to full-time caddy to full-blown internet meme all in the span of a few short months. He is the bag man for Bryson DeChambeau. Brian Ziegler, welcome aboard, brother. What's up? Thanks for having me. Good to be with hey, you, th bro. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on all the success, Brian. This has been really cool to watch, but we want to get to know, we know a lot about Bryson, which we're going to get to, but we got to know, find out a little bit about you before. Let's, tell us a little bit about your golfing background. When did you get started? You know, was there dreams of playing professionally or anything? Uh, no, I started playing at like 10. I was, you know, never really that great through high school. Like I was okay. I was decent, but I didn't, 
didn't try to play in college, went to Arizona State, did the PGM program there, started working at Whisper Rock when I was in school and kind of worked my way up through the golf business that way. So, but no, no aspirations for playing early on. And, you know, I'm a decent player. I'm probably like a plus two handicap, but I'm not, you know, a plus six or seven to where I had a chance to play golf. But yeah, yeah. so the, the golf world is getting to know you now as Bryson's caddy, clearly. But like, I know you from way back at Whisper Rock. You were busting balls on the range, caddying for all the nitwits out there. Give us a rundown of how you went from that to being on the bag for one of the best players in the world, because that took some time. Yeah, it definitely took some time. I was at Whisper Rock in 9, 10, 11, I think were the years that I was there uh, when I was at school. Um, and then kind of just bounced around the country as an assistant for the next four or five years. And, and right when I left Whisper Rock, I started doing a lot more teaching in my roles and, and I wanted to eventually get into full-time teaching. And then uh, I ended up in Florida working for a guy uh, named Tom Dyer at Old Marsh. Great, great pro, really, really big into teaching. Taught a couple hundred hours one year when I was there with him. And that's actually where I met uh, Chris Como, uh, a guy named John Graham and a couple other teachers. And then I, was getting a little bit burnt out on being an assistant and folding shirts and doing all that stuff. And like all my time in my eight year career before that time, 14 out of my 15 favorite days were all teaching related things. And, uh, and I said that to my boss at the end of the year, I'm like, I think I want to go into full-time teaching. He's like, I could have told you that after you worked here for a month and I had been working there for a year at the time. I'm like, Oh, great. Thanks. So I ended up, um, just through a guy named Bobby Pankratz at PXG knew Jim McLean really well. And he's like, Jim told me he was looking for an assistant. Would you be interested in the job? Like interviewing for the job. And I said, yeah, no problem. So I sent a, a resume to Jim and, and 20 minutes later, my phone starts ringing with a Miami number. And I'm like, I pick it up. I'm like, hello. He's like, Hey, it's Jim McLean here. And I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. And then like my phone kind of cut out. I don't, we just lost service. And he calls me right back. And like, I started getting interviewed. 20 minutes after I sent him my resume. So that kind of got me uh, into as his assistant and I worked for him for a year and then I uh, took a job director of instruction up in Wyoming. Um, and this whole time I had known Chris prior to taking the job for Jim and knew I wanted to work for him and, and get with him. So um, after that summer in Wyoming, I started working full-time at Dallas national. I did one more summer in Wyoming, but yeah, I was at Dallas national for three years uh, with Chris. What was it about Chris Como that made you want to work under him? he's the most interesting man in the world. Like who, who wouldn't want to work, who wouldn't want to work under him? Um, I really, I really enjoyed my time watching other teachers. I watched when I was at old Marsh, I watched John beer can teach a lot. I watched Tom teach quite a bit and I really liked that part of it. And then working for Jim, I mean, I shadowed him for 500 hours as his assistant. We probably did 500 hours of just talking about golf in the, you know, 10 months that I worked for him. Um, and then when I got to know Chris a little bit, I was like, man, he just does things so different and they always seem to work out really well. And I like, I'd like to learn that. And I always thought he was a really smart guy and took a very interesting path into teaching. And I'm like, that's really cool. I like that. It's not traditional where, you know, you re read all these books, you take the information you got from the books and you regurgitate it. It's like, he's a big absorber of information. And like Bryson's a lot like this too, where like, he hears a lot of stuff and listens to a lot of stuff, but then makes his own connections and then spits it out at somebody. And I'm like, man, that's really cool. So I like, even in the three years that I worked for him and you know, the hundreds of hours that I watched him teach, I felt like I never watched the same lesson working for Chris. It was like, 
it was just so off the wall and like so cool to see and like how we got everything to fit together and how a lot of it just is based off how people can actually move and the physical things that they can actually do. Um, so that was one of the, you know, that was the big reason why I wanted to work for him. Cause I just, I, he was one of the best teachers I, I'd ever seen at the time. So still is. Were you working with Chris when he was working with tiger? Did you get to sit in on any of that? Uh, no, no. So when I met Chris, he was working with tiger and that was kind of one of the ways that I got in with Chris was I just kept bugging him. Like, is there anything I can do for you? Can I help you out with anything? And then, you know, one day he texts me, he's like, can you do stats for tiger X, Y, Z and on driving? Like, sure. So <laughs> I spent like four hours and I put like two or three spreadsheets together and I emailed it to him and I didn't hear back from him for like a day or two. And he texts me, he goes, Oh, I just wanted to know what he was ranked in 13 driving. I was like, okay, no problem. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate yeah, it. So, but it was cool. Like, so, so it was like, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I really like working for Chris is there wasn't much structure to it. And he let me really grow on my own. And like, he'd be like, look at this type of stuff, come to a conclusion. And that made me be better as a teacher and, and as a forward thinker and as a critical thinker. And, and I think that's where, really good golf instructors are really good critical thinkers. And I think, you know, really good players can be critical thinkers as well. Like Phil Mickelson really comes to mind. Tiger, you know, very analytical. Bryce is very analytical. Those are the, a lot of the people that I see really get to the top are those, those types of mindsets. And I've always kind of been that analytical thinker as well. So I gravitated towards that really easily. Was, was the first time you met Bryson with Chris Como or did you know him from before? No, that was the, I think I met him on the range it was even before they were officially working together. I met Bryson just at Dallas national cause he practices out there a bunch. And, you know, as a new teacher, I don't have any clients day one working at Dallas national. So for like the first month or two, I did a lot of walking the range and like just watching guys hit golf balls. And, and I was like, I just asked him, I said, Hey, can I record your swing? You know, can you hit a couple shots so I can just have some video from my database so I can study some stuff. He goes, yeah, no problem. And like, everybody at Dallas national was great with that. Like Carlos Ortiz, I got a bunch of his swings and stuff. So that was when I first met him. And then I think it was November, December or January sometime in that where they started really working together uh, officially. Um, so that was, uh, then I got to be just in the circle of things uh, and, and got to know Bryson a lot better that way. What was your first impression of Bryson when you met him? Before you started working together. Um, he has just like you do, Drew, he has the gift of gab. So he can mm. really talk and, and he gets like he gets really deep into subjects. So when he's working on something, he's gonna tell you what he's working on and he's gonna tell you everything of how he's working on it. And I uh, just uh, so we we talked about a lot of subjects like that. And that's kind of like, you know, we'll do that with anything. Like, you know, you had a 30 minute discussion about UFOs with them. And like, <laughs> I've been, I, I've been in that yeah. discussion too. And it's really cool. So like, that's, that's, um, that's, yeah. I was like, I mean, intro to Bryson. Well, that's both, incredible. I mean, both very go, smart. You, yeah. You go from, but you go from obviously watching him hit golf balls to them being in the inner circle. At what point did possibly caddying for him come up? Uh, let's see. So that was 18, October of 18 when I met him. Um, right around, I think it was like end of 20 okay. where the, actually, sorry, I can tell you the first time, um, 
we were walking down the fairway, the 13th fairway at Harding Park PJ Championship 2020. And Tim's kind of walking out in front of us and like Tim had like some some knee issues going on at the time and he was kind of limping a little bit. And Bryson looked at me, he goes, Would you ever caddy for me? I was like, like, you mean if like Tim went down or anything? He's he's like, Yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like I could step in. He's like, because you're the only person who's ever at any of my events or anything I've ever seen like shadow a caddy because I used to when I would go to events with Chris and, and Bryson, I would always Monday go walk the course with Tim because I always thought that was really interesting. And I just wanted to learn, you know, I'm at in no point in my mind did I think it would lead to anything, but I just wanted to learn like, okay, what is he looking at on the golf course? How is he trying to figure out how Bryson's going to play it? And you know, what, what would we do different strategy wise? So that's always fun. And as you guys know, like Tim's awesome, like world-class guy. Like I just liked hanging out with Tim. So, um, he asked me and I said, yeah, like on an interim basis, like, sure. Like if, you know, something happened to Tim for a tournament or something, I'd love to do it. He's like, okay. And then I didn't hear anything about it for like six or seven months. And then we were talking, uh, we were doing some shoot for the Olympics and he looks at me, he goes, would, do you want to caddy for me in Australia? And I'm like, yeah, like just, you know, why Australia is like, well, Tim's got a conflict of things. It's kind of like in the middle of the off season. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, like, that'd be awesome. That'd be way cool. So like, I just thought it was like a one-off thing. And then he's like, well, he's like, you know, Tim's got some, some health issues with his knees and he's, you know, venturing into these other uh, activities in his life and entrepreneurship type stuff. And uh, he's like, he's probably going to retire at some point in time in the next year or two. Would you be interested in the job? And I was like, I don't really know. Like, I've never really liked caddying for members. <laughs> so like, am I actually going to like my job? And I love teaching. And like, I, I was like, I found teaching to be really interesting and, and it was fun to continue to learn and get better as a teacher. So I was like, man, I don't really know if I'm going to like the job. And he's like, you're going to make a lot more money. I was like, yeah, but like, I'm pretty comfortable as is right now. If I don't like the job, like I'm not going to want to do it. You're not going to want me on the bag. It's not going to be a good relationship. And then I kind of like, I thought about it for probably like two months or so where like, okay, if he asked me to do it, would I do it? And I was like, you know, I, I got to do it right. Like from a career as a teacher standpoint, it's like, okay, I'm going to be inside the ropes with a top five player in the world and a guy who just over the last year and a half has gained all this distance and he's playing a different type of game. He's playing, you know, chess and, I'm like, how can I pass up an opportunity to just be around this? And, and I liked being around them. Like we, we became really good friends over these three years. So it was like, I liked just being around him and hanging out. So I told him in April, maybe somewhere in that range. I was like, listen, when you, when it's time, I will, I'm full in. Like you just let me know and I'll do it. So I had ended up shadowing Tim uh, at two more events where I went out and was actively not just like shadowing what he was doing, but like training and getting into the real specifics of everything that they do from tournament preparation, uh, pre-round preparation on the golf course stuff. And then I caddied for him for nine holes in a pro-am just to kind of get used to like what that flow was like. Um, and thinking that it was going to be like an end of the year type thing or a year and a half from then type thing. So I was going to get, we had planned out, I think me going to three more events that summer, 
and then whatever I would need to do the next year if he ended up staying another year and a half. Um, and then I was in Texas at the LPGA event and I just got a new phone and my phone didn't work. So apparently Wednesday night of rocket mortgage Bryson, like after they had split was trying to call me and couldn't get a hold of me and nobody could. And then the next day I looked at my phone and got a text message from his agent at like noon. And he's like, Hey, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, Oh, did you hear the news? I was like, what news are you talking about? He's like, have you not looked at the PGA tour app? I was like, no. And he's like, Oh, and then that whole thing, he was just like, yeah, he's like, we, we, he's like, you're, you're the list. He goes, you're, you're ready to go. And I said, you got it. <laughs> so, um, we go. which was great. Yeah. So that was it. I think so, it's, then boom. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Like, I mean, to learn that, you know, it, you took some time to actually think about it. I think most people would be like, Oh my God, you probably jumped off your couch and said, hell yeah, when and where, and I'll be there. But you sure. actually took a lot of time. And I mean, that's really, really cool. But I want to go back to the part of you shadowing Tim. Because yeah. that's not normal. I mean, what, what Bryson does is obviously very unique in the game of golf. But, like, most guys don't go follow other caddies around and try to learn from them. What was the process like trying to learn everything Bryson wants from a caddy? And how long until you felt comfortable with all the information? Uh, I still am not comfortable with all the information. <laughs> <laughs> um, Never. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, the process stuff of pre-tournament – and why we do it probably was through like the beginning of the playoffs where I like actually felt comfortable with what we were doing shadowing Tim, you know, Tim is very, Tim's very smart, very like to the point. Here's why we do X, Y, Z. And that was a huge help for me. I mean, I got, I still look at my notes that I have in my phone from when Tim and I spent two days of just going over. Here's what we do at five minutes in. Here's what we do at 10 minutes in. Here's what we do at 15 minutes in. Here's the putting stuff. Here's the wedge stuff. And it's like, I'm, as I was receiving that information from him and writing it down, I was like, I can't process any of this. I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, but I'm just going to put it all into this. So then I can go back and refer to it. So, uh, especially with like the putting stuff. Um, so yeah, it took me some time to fully understand why we did things. And then that made it a lot easier to, remember how what we need to do and when we need to do it and how we need to do it but um the on the course stuff I, I felt like I was pretty lost in the at the open championship <laughs> like just kind of hoping that I didn't screw up or stand in anybody's way or you know do some things that I did um but yeah no um I think like it, it probably took two or three tournaments where I felt really comfortable with what we were trying to do yeah and, you know, yeah. there's still moments where and, I'm, I'm lost. And you were like, real quick. Yeah. Real quick, before, before you switch gears real quick, I, I want to go back to the putting thing for his yeah. warm up because, you know, I've been out there at a lot of events doing TV and I've never seen anybody else do what he does on the putting green. Can you give us like a quick breakdown of his putting warm up? Sure. Starting line, speed, and five footers. So he hits balls to get the ball to make sure it's rolling good for the day. And then he's taking a stroke figuring out the speed of the green and then he hits a five foot breaking putt. So he, and it's, he, he, he did, he does something called vector putting, which is, uh, was a book written back in the sixties. And then it's been reworked a little bit since. Um, and so he has an idea of at 20 feet on a stimp of X, Y, Z, the ball is going to break X, Y, Z 
and he trains to know how far his stroke needs to go to hit a 20 footer. Yeah, so. dude, it's unbelievable. Normal stuff. I've never seen, that's how I played. Yeah. How'd you do it? Do you do it different? <laughs> that's the same shit I still do now. Yeah. So, so, so to this point, right. So we're on the uh, uh, fourth hole at the open championship during a practice round playing with like, okay. Open championship was my first tournament. Like, here we go. Let's go. Pretty cool. <laughs> so it's, it's Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Bryson, and Jordan Spieth. We're on the fourth green, and it's like this slope in the middle of it's like a 16. It's just, it's just, you're in a big bowl. It's way up, and then it's over and back, and it's like a 65 foot putt. And we're guessing you got to hit it like 110 feet. So Bryson's like, okay, it needs to be at this speed. So, like, we hit the putt, comes off 21.2 miles an hour, finishes two feet away from the hole. John Rom comes walking over. He goes, what are you guys doing over here? <laughs> <laughs> Throws the ball down. And Bryce is like, well, if we hit it, if, if their ball speed is this, it equates to this and the ball will go to the hole. John's like, okay. And he looks down and he just, he hits the putt and it goes to one foot and he looks down and he goes, I don't know what speed my ball is coming off at. He goes, here, drop another one. <laughs> hits another one. And he's hitting these speeds like perfect. Like exactly how Bryce did. And I'm like, yeah, you're just really good, John. Just just keep doing what you're doing. He's like, <laughs> yeah. and he's, he looks at Bryce and he goes, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's working. It's working so far. Yeah. But so like, I mean, yeah. going in, you're about as prepared as you can be. You spent a bunch of time around Bryson. You know his game. You know the vernacular. You spent time shadowing Tim. But mm -hmm. you've never been a caddy before. So you step into the mix. You're, there's got to be some sort of mess ups or something that you butchered along the way. Give us the biggest thing you've messed up since you've been on the back. <laughs> the biggest thing I've messed up um your biggest blunder yeah i mean like i've handed him probably six or seven clubs that weren't clean like come on that's got to be number one for a caddy Jesus, right bro <laughs> i know i know i know and then northern trust i pulled a u actually i was walking oh. off the first tee i got past the first tee box and said oh yeah where's the pin on this hole oh wait i don't have a pin sheet <laughs> that happened you're gonna say you wore golf sheet. shoes see dude that happens to even even the greats even the did you make bryson run back and get it because that's what i told him. i was like dude you better go get one or else you're gonna play like shit he was about two steps in front of me and i made it back around to get the pin sheet and got back up to him before he even noticed that i was gone so that's speed yeah. your speed that you got speed though hustling with that bag um so. we asked this to tim when he was on i want to know if it's changed at all or it's similar but walk us through a shot you walk up bryson hits his ball in the fairway you set the bag down you're trying to figure out yeah. how far to hit it, what club to hit walk us through the whole deal yeah so uh you know we get our front of the green yardage and then pin yardage and then we are looking at the elevation looking at the wind all the typical stuff everybody would look at seeing if you know what the the air density is for the day. And then how does that relate to what our yardage chart was from earlier in the week? That'll change throughout the week. And then we'll talk through a shot. We get it down to the yard. So we are, you know, if it's a 175 shot and the greens are a little bit firm, we're trying to land this at 171. We're playing it, you know, let's say it's five down wind, we're playing 166. And that's going to be on our yardage chart for today is going to equate to a 10 30 50 degree wedge so we know what our all our clubs are going to fly and then when we get to hitting a little bit different shots different flights then we have some, some minor adjustments that we make but we're taking we're taking all this information and this is where he finds his peace and things and, and i do as well as like 
I want all the information that I can get. He wants all the information that he can get. Let's talk about it all. And we're, we're coming to a conclusion and we're coming to this point of like, okay, this shot is a 162 yard shot. Great. I've made X swing will equate to 162 yard shot. And he's very at peace with that. Right. Where some people are like, well, I don't want to hear about the water on the right. I don't want to hear about the wind. I don't want to hear how the green's going to bounce. It's like, I just want to hit the shot. We, we want all that information. And that's why sometimes early on when like, I wasn't really good at like, what's the order the information needs to come in. We would get, we would be a little bit slower because I would be off in the process and he's like, I'm ready to hit. I'm like, I'm not hundred percent ready for you to hit. And he was so patient with me with that where like I'm telling him I'm not ready and he's the number five player in the world. Like, <laughs> give me one more second here, please. <laughs> and he's like, okay, no problem. And like, I think he, him helping me out too. I think he in, enjoyed that. And then that was like something that got his mind a little bit. Like if we're in a pressure situation, he was there also helping me and getting me better at my job. And that gave him a calmness to it too. So we're just taking all the information that we can get, try to get it down to a final number and make the swing to hit that number. And we, and then we accept whatever results come out of it. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating stuff, which y'all go through over each shot. And one thing Tim said, and I'm interested to hear if you agree with this, he was surprised more PJ tour players don't go through the process. Bryson does hundred percent, hundred percent, especially as a teacher, because I, I knew that I would learn a lot about teaching going through this, but I, in my own game and very much the same way as like, I want all that information and I'm going to come up with a number as a teacher teaching good players. I've, I've learned and seen that some players don't like that, but a lot of the players that I do teach, I help them get more into that process. And I'm very surprised that a lot of PGA tour players don't do that. Like I I've seen guys where they don't even interact with their caddy, just grab a club and hit a shot and keep going. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't, if that was, this is one of the things that we talked about from the beginning. If that's what my job is going to be, that I'm just there to carry a bag for you and like talk about a ball game. Like I'm not going to enjoy that. And, and I don't want to be a, like, I don't want to caddy for you if that's the case from day one shot. Number one was like, what should we do here? We're on the first hole at the open championship and he's having driver issues the whole, all the practice rounds. And I'm like, I'm like, well, we should hit four iron. <laughs> he's like, we should, we should hit. I'm like, well, I think we should hit four iron. He's like, I want to hit driver. I was like, okay, well, how am I supposed to interject now? Right? Like, am I supposed to just call him off the very first tee shot that we've ever had? Like, no, we should probably hit four iron. Not have been <laughs> so epic. So, so I was like, no, no problem. Yeah. Hit driver <laughs> hit in the right rough made a bogey. <laughs> so Zeke. it was like, uh, it's always been, it's always been, we've had a really good relationship of talking through everything. And, and that's, that's been awesome. Zeke, let me ask you this. Since you just brought that up, like starting off, I'm sure you're a little skittish. You're getting to know everything. It takes you a little bit of time. Are you to the point now, like secure enough in your job to where if he, he wants to do something and you don't agree with it or don't believe in it, you'll call him off and be like, no, dude, like that's not it. Um, it's, we talk through every shot. Like you would talk through it to where like, maybe I've called him off shots and not even known that I've called him off shots. If that makes sense. We're like, he, he's never, he never comes to me and is like, you know, this is, we're going to hit this shot here. It's always like, okay, well, let's talk about everything that comes out of it. So we're putting all this stuff into an equation and then figuring out what is the best shot you know, I called him off one shot one time when the wind picked up and he hit it in the bunker. And it was, we happened to have a lead in the tournament at the time when we did it. 
And he kind of like looked at me like, man, you've never called me off a shot before. I was like, yeah, but like, man, the wind kicked up and changed directions like 10 miles an hour. This is the Kays Valley on the sixth hole where this, that whole area was just swirling. And every day the wind was pushing down and out of the left. And we tried to play a draw into it every day and we missed the pin right. Well, now it, we thought it was going to be coming that same direction. And then I feel it come in hard in out of the right. And we're trying to play a draw to a front left pin and you're dead if you miss it left. So I just like called him off the shot real quick just to like have him reset. And then he hit a bad, you know, he not that he hit a bad shot, but he just, he left it in the bunker. And, um, you know, that was the only time I've ever actually called him off a shot when he was already past the routine where we talk about the shot. So just one time. I, Way to go. Yeah, he th- blew it. I think the one thing. <laughs> He made I think the one's so much different than what anybody else does. It's like, you know, it can be, it can be rather warm out. It can be hot out. You know, there's some helping wind where a lot of players you hear, you know, we have 155. It's hot. It's downwind. It's probably playing around 148. Like y'all come up with the exact number. Like there's no guessing. And I think that's what's so fascinating about what y'all do. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, again, it's like, the way his brain works and the way mine works, the the more precise that we can get with something, the more committed we're going to get to it. And then we're just going to make the best swing from there. Like we're, we're wrong. Like we, we get, we get numbers wrong, but he's always making a swing committed to whatever number we've decided on, which is all you can ask for as a caddy from a player is that you commit to the shot. I mean, I can't remember one, you know, maybe one occasion where he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, we came up with this, but I wasn't really too sure about it. Like yeah. maybe one time in six tournaments. So, you know, I, I love that as, as a caddy or, and as a coach, right. As a teacher where like your student or my player is 100% committed to whatever the shot shape they want and shot that they want to have. That's when you're going to have your most optimal shots. They're not always going to be perfect, but like that's when you have the ability to hit these perfect shots. Yeah, and Zeke, you come in, you not only have to learn of all Bryson's stuff and how, what order he likes it in and all that type of stuff, right? Yep. Then you got to learn how to be a caddy, which you've never really caddied before. So you got to learn all that goes with that. But then not, you also come into the mix right at the peak of the Brooksy mayhem with mm-hmm. the fans yelling at that Bryson, you know, while he's hitting and stuff. Have you had any instances, instances this year where you've had to step in and, and regulate a little bit, flex those, those bicep tattoos on some folks? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like turning and looking at players or people and like, you know, quiet, please. And, um, you know, I can tell, I can sense when things have disturbed him or so like, that's when I'll, you know, turn and look at somebody, but it's all the time. And it was all the time. So it's not that it's not that it was ever really quiet when he was hitting golf shots. So the little bit of noise, you know, it was all right. You know, we were okay with that. We were accepting of it because that's, that's all I've known. And that's all he's been experiencing for the last six months or so where it really started to bother him more. And what people don't get is like, we were playing with uh, John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay on Saturday. Yeah. Saturday at Kays Valley. Yeah. Saturday at Kays Valley. There was a six hole stretch where I don't think John or Patrick hit a shot when people weren't yelling or moving around and like, nobody wants to win under this situation where like the fans are interfering with the golfer, right? You don't want to beat somebody because somebody yelled in their backswing and they hit a bad shot, but through the first five or six holes, everybody was yelling and, you know, Patrick and John and Bryson were all stepping off of shots. And then 
by the time the seventh hole comes around and there's 10,000 people around the hole, I mean, I just watched John just get up and just hit a shot when people are right after Bryson hit and people are like walking and yelling Brooksy and he just hits a shot because he can't, can't just keep waiting. So more of the disturbing of everybody and the direction of there's going to start being live betting at golf events, like waste management is the first one with live betting, like good yep. luck. You, you don't think somebody that's got $10,000 on the line isn't going to throw a beer can at a golfer? 100% yep. something like that's going to happen. So uh, I think it was great with the statement that the PGA Tour came out with because you have to set up some type of precedent going forward when live betting gets into this. And, and that's where Bryson, being as analytical and smart as he is, he's like, he's like yes, it, it bothers me. He goes, but like, dude, like, does it really bother me that much? Not really. But I'm looking at what, what is happening on the whole the whole aspect of the tour what's it going to be like when there is sports live betting everywhere so you know he had a lot of that running through his mind and that bothered him more than almost you know some drunk fan screaming brooksy yeah i, I didn't I mean, you know i kind of forgot like you came in in the middle of all of it i mean yeah. you got <laughs> him and tim splitting the brooksy thing oh great yeah. now we got to go team up at the Ryder cup with brooks together like yeah i, we, I know we're gonna get i want to talk about the Ryder cup because sleaze yeah. and i were there it was our it was our first Ryder cup was it your first Ryder cup i'm guessing i know it was your first one to caddy obviously yeah. but first one to ever be, be at first one to ever be at i mean what was that week like for you i mean because there i mean the fans really embraced bryson and got behind him um there was you didn't really hear brooksy at all that week obviously because they're on the same team but take us a little bit through that week what was it like for you yeah, so we did a we did a team practice like two weeks before that, maybe ten days before we, we flew out there, and we flew out with uh, Jordan, Scotty Scheffler, and then Scotty McGinnis, who's uh, Scotty's caddy, and, and Bryson. And I was just on the plane, and I looked at Scotty McGinnis because it was his first Ryder Cup too, and Scotty Scheffler, and I was like. I think that we might be the three most excited people to go to the Ryder Cup <laughs> because like all the, like as a player, like most of the players are coming off of the end of the playoffs and like, they're kind of tired and all that. But like, I mean, I had more energy for those 20 days than I did the whole season. Like I was so pumped. I, I, I love everything about the Ryder Cup. It's, it's probably my favorite event outside the masters as, as a golf fan to watch. And now like I get to be a part of it. It's so cool. And so we went and we did the two day practice round, which was really, which was a ton of fun. Um, Scotty and Bryson really hit it off. Bryson really wanted to play with Scotty. Scotty really wanted to play with Bryson and they, they embraced that, which was, which was awesome. Um, and then when we got to the Ryder cup, you know, it's, it's, we walk the golf course and walk the golf course and walk the golf course and play practice rounds. And like, we're all amped up. We're all ready to, to do this and and then we sit the first match and i'm like oh man <laughs> and and scotty and bryson played alternate shot for you know and they shot like seven or eight under and i'm like man these two like how how do you not want to take how do you not want to take somebody who gives great wedge players and iron players like a 40 50 yard advantage so yeah. And, but like, I know there's a lot that goes into selecting who plays when and where. And, and um, you know, it, it was totally fine. Obviously, we kicked major ass. So that's, that's all that really mattered. We did, we did it right. Strict, yeah. restricted it right. So um, that whole week was so cool. Like being out on the first tee when all the groups were teeing off and the morning waves was awesome. And just feeling the environment out there was really cool. Um, yeah. It was, 
it was really, really special and something I'll never forget. And, and uh, I talked to Jimmy Johnson after we won and he's like, man, he's like, he's like, you can win any event you want. And he goes, this is it right here. Winning the Ryder cup. He goes, this is the best. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Let's go. That's awesome. And it's awesome. And like, and like, I mean, I'm, I, I have to be the most spoiled caddy there is right. My first events, the open championship we're final group at WGC. I have three playoff events where we finish, you know, we have an epic playoff and then the Ryder cup. Like I'm going to go to the tournament of champions and be like, wow, this is so this boring. Is shit. <laughs> Hawaii yeah, what sucks. Is what is this? Hawaii's terrible. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's awesome. Like I, I, it's, it's, an un- it's been an unbelievable experience so far and I'm really excited to do it for as long as I can do it for. The coolest moment I think Zig that I was present for was the final day singles match. First tee, y'all playing Sergio and we I'd watched the first couple groups hit and they were getting it up to the front edge and stuff like that and here comes Bryson yeah. in the next group. I'm like, dude, this is probably like an off-speed driver. Like this there's <laughs> he has plenty of gas, but just will he hit the green was the question. And then you guys still yeah. up there, lands soft like on the front fringe and trickles on the place went nuts like as loud as i've ever heard it on a golf course before when he gave you the club back and you guys started walking like what was that conversation that was the cool i was like i'll never forget that shot till as long as i live yeah so i mean i got lasik eye surgery and i still can't see a ball landing 370 yards away so like i follow a ball for a pretty long time and then it's, it's gone right and his ball hangs in the air for like eight nine seconds so he hits the shot and the ball's in the air and like, I got the bag on my shoulder and we've taken two steps already. And then all of a sudden the crowd just erupts and we look over to our left and there's a big screen and we look at it and we see the ball land and roll up on the green. And he's probably two or three steps in front of me. So this is before you even got off the first tee box. And I'm like, Bryson, Bryson, you need <laughs> your putter like right in front of Sergio. <laughs> and he like, he grabs his putter, he holds it up in the air and like, Oh, yeah. it's so cool. It's so cool. Because like, I mean, Sergio is like the villain for Europe, like super nice guy. He was awesome. But like, he's the guy that you just want to beat as an American is Sergio. He's got, I think he's played the record number of matches in the, in a Ryder cup. And like, he's, he's got, he's like, he's the defeater of us. Right. So it's like, it was cool to be playing against him and like, and then he drops the 40 footer and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is, yeah so cool um so yeah it was awesome because like the team stuff is great like scotty and bryson played awesome like i mean colt you probably played with scotty a hundred times like you know how good he is at golf i don't think the world actually understands how good scotty is at golf and that was like a huge coming out party for scotty and it was awesome and so having the team stuff was yeah having the team stuff was really cool because you know, we're going through talking about different win numbers of different shots. And like, and as a caddy, you never sit there with another caddy and talk with you about your player's shot or another player's shot. So like talking with Scotty McGinnis about like, well, what'd you guys play for a win? What were you thinking here? You know, with how your ball reacted, like that was really cool to like dive into how does another caddy actually caddy? Because my exposure to caddies is, is Tim and then a little bit of just like chatting with the guys now that I've had experiences with, but now I'm actually in it, like listening to Scotty's conversation with Scotty about how they're going to hit a shot. And like, Oh, that's a cool way to do it. And like, you know, little things like writing all the different stuff in the book after you hit each shot, like what, where was the wind direction coming from? Where did it fly? All this and that, like 
So like I was constantly there trying to learn too. When we got to singles and it was one-on-one, like that was when I was like, man, this is really, really strong. Like this is really cool landing on the green and then making that putt. I think I was like, I think I said the biggest, yeah, after he made that putt on number one, just like with the flag in my hand and I was pumped. So it was really like the, the whole thing, just yeah. what an unbelievable experience. And I got this, I don't know, if, you know. Oh yeah, show it off. I'm, oh yeah. I, I, I may I may there have taken is. this, there's, there's 12 of these I think out there. Um, and these were one of the bottles that got popped after we won the Ryder Cup and it's made its way to Plano, Texas. So that's going to be there that's for a awesome. long time. That's a nice momento. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brian, let me ask you this, because that week, I mean, like I said, the crowd got behind him. Bryson did everything right. You know, he was out there pumping the crowd up and everything. Do you think we might see a different Bryson on the golf course going forward? Because, you know, he's been criticized with how he's handled some things in the past. But at the Ryder Cup, everything was great. Do you think maybe that might have, like, opened his eyes a little bit and be like, man, this is really fun being like this way and being where everybody supports me? It's so interesting because I feel like, the way he was at the Ryder cup is how he is a lot of the time when he's playing well, right? Like if you're, if you're not playing well, like, you know, this is Colt and drew as a player. Like if you're not playing well, like you don't want to interact with fans. You don't want to sit there and like be lively and everything when he's, when he's playing good. And he, he does that stuff all the time. I mean, you know how many times like I've handed him a four iron and the crowd boos. And then he just turns around and goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Let me hear the booze or like, I'll fake him out. Like I'll fake hand him the four iron. He'll pull the driver out. The crowd goes crazy. So <laughs> he, he likes, he likes that interaction uh, a lot of the time. I mean, so I would say that the, you know, like a, a negative moment overshadows a hundred positive moments. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think, I think just with kind of like some of the negative moments that we had, which like, him and Tim splitting wasn't even a negative moment. And it just gets viewed in this world as like, Oh my gosh, this huge thing happened. It's like, okay, well, I, I mean, we knew this was going to happen at some point in time. There's somebody in training to do it. That doesn't usually happen in the caddy world. Right. It's like, you don't have somebody in waiting to, to do this job. That's not, you know, so it's, that, that wasn't even a negative, but gets viewed as a negative. And then the, the driver situation, the open championship, you know, is what it is where, you know, we moved on from it. I thought him playing really well at WGC brought a lot of, it stopped this, right? So I was nervous that there would be a lot of questions of like, oh, he's got a new caddy and he's not playing well, right? So that was, that was like my concern. So our second tournament out, we're in the final group on Sunday. So I was like, okay, well, all those concerns about him not being the greatest golfer on the planet are gone because he's he's the most talented golfer in the world and so you know that that brought a a a big ease to to my mind about like okay i can do this role the world's not going to think that him making a caddy change is this huge change and he's he's moving in a great direction and on an awesome trajectory because he's been playing great golf so um i don't know if i answered your question but you know my guy's the best yeah my guy's my guy my guy's the best in the world I need to say that again. <laughs> no, yeah, we got and, the answer plus. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think a lot of other players have taken note. They're like, listen, if Bryson drives it well, it's really, really hard for us to beat him. I was with y'all at that WGC in Memphis on Saturday when you shot yeah. 63. And yeah. I don't even know. I'm sure you know this, but I took a little note and I said he hit five iron, I believe, into the third hole, the par five. And other than that, he never hit more than nine iron into any green. 
So he hit 17 Correct. nine irons or less and shot the easiest 63 I've ever seen. And I'm just Correct. like, guys, y'all want to beat this guy? You're going to have to do something special, kind of like Patrick Cantley did where he made over 530 foot of putts. It's the only way to beat him uh-huh. if he drives it the way he can. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, t- you take what happened at Kays Valley because it's a perfect example of it. Patrick Cantley broke the record for strokes gained putting in the, since 2004 when they had that, you know, starting as a stat. So it took a guy to have the best putting week of his career statistically of the last 17 years to tie us to go into a playoff. And, yeah. and, we, and we missed some shots coming yeah. down the stretch. And so it's like it was uh, – it sucked not to win. But we, we processed and moved on from it, right? So I learned a lot in those moments. He learned a lot in those moments. The biggest moment was when, for me, when we're in the fourth playoff hole and he hits the ball in the water. And he's walking down the fairway. And, like, obviously he's pissed. He's like, man, I just, I just lost this tournament. And I could just see, like, He's like, man, I'm so mad. And I looked at him and I said, listen, you need to hit a golf shot. We need to get it up and down and we need to beat him on the next hole. He goes, you're right. You're right. And just got out of it, hits it to three feet. We par, go to the next hole. And then, you know, we missed like a, or we made a two on the hole after that. And then, you know, so it was just, it was, it was tough to be a part of because to me, that whole Sunday, not that I was anticipating, not that I was expecting us to win but it felt like we were going to win the whole time and then we didn't win and it was like it was a letdown in that way not that we were like oh yeah we're going to win this golf tournament it was like man everything seems like it's moving in our direction to win because like i mean patrick put it unbelievably good and like after the round i'm going back through it i'm like man since like the 13th hole that guy made every single putt i think he took Mm -hmm. eight putts in his last seven holes so it's like that's what it took for him to get to 27 under for us. And we felt like we played like a, you know, we played as an A throughout the whole week. And then, you know, we played like a B plus on Sunday. It's like, man, if we have our A game on Sunday, we win the, we win the tournament by five and we shoot 32 or 33 under. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Cantley has a really good putting. Yeah. Patrick Cantley has a really good putting week. You win by six. He had to have a historic putting week to tie you. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, trust me. Talking to the other players out there, they've taken notice. If this if this man hits it really, really straight, and as far as he's hitting it, we got problems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. Big problems. And Bryson's always a guy, I, I liken him to Phil a little bit. He's always trying to get better. He's always tinkering, doing something weird. Side saddle, you know, the same length irons, gaining all the weight. Is there anything in the works right now that you guys are doing that's out of the ordinary that you may be unleashing later on? Any tinkering going on? Always tinkering going on. So mm. there's always speed training going on. Um, oh, there's I, a little I, smile there. <laughs> so I, is um, a, wow. I will, I will elect to not answer that question. Oh, Next question, okay. please. Sir. Oh my God. Like, what is it? You got a time machine? Are you guys building a time machine? Well, we already have one. It. We just need that. We need to send back the time machine. Oh, that's interesting. So, I'm on yeah. pins It'll and needles very, now. Yeah. It'll yeah. be interesting to see what he has in the works. But one last thing before we get to the emergency nine, I want to know because a lot of hype was made about him heading into Augusta National, you know, back in November and how basically, I mean, Jordan Spieth on this podcast came out and said, you know, the Masters is Bryson's to lose. Like this place sets yeah. up so perfect for him. Are you a little bit surprised that he hasn't had more success at Augusta National with the new game he has? 
Um, well, I guess so. The first time he sees it is in November of 2020 with the new game, mm-hmm. like full on the new game. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a little bit, you know. Cole, you've played there, right? You know, no, I haven't. Oh, I'm playing there in a few <laughs> weeks. Sorry, sorry. Uh, That's a nice um, joke. Hey, you haven't caddied there yet either. Hey. Get <laughs> them in. Get the shots in. I, I have not. I mean, Drew Drew set me up for that one. He said to make sure you mention Augusta at least once because <laughs> yeah. you were yeah. gonna pump that you're gonna play it in a couple yeah. weeks and all that. So um, that's fine. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, right? Like on in theory, it's like okay, high draw hitter is supposed to play well at Augusta. Okay, great. Well, Dustin Johnson hits about a two yard fade. And he played pretty well at Augusta. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know why he hasn't had more success there. Um, but I'm really excited to dive into that a little bit more. And maybe it's you know, maybe this will be the year that he has a lot more success there. The the high draw thing at Augusta is the most asinine thing in my mind. Like I don't know <laughs> who started that and why everyone yeah. thinks that's true because the guy who's won the most Green Jackets, Jack Nicklaus, yeah. played a fade. Tiger Woods Correct. plays a fade. Dustin Johnson has a scoring record, plays a fade. I, I don't get why they think you have to hook it around this place. Ben, ben Hogan played a fade. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's just a couple of tee shots that set up really well for it that give you a big advantage. Like, if you can get it around on two, if you can get it around on 13. But I think they pushed the tee box back on 13 was what I heard. And so, yeah, I mean, 10 is another place where two you need 13, to draw two it. Two, 10, so. 13. <laughs> that, right, that's it. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but those are pivotal holes, right? I mean, you, you, you're talking, you go from having, if you're a high draw hitter, you could have, that hits at the same distance, you could have three less clubs in the 13 than somebody who's a fader. Because, you know, so, and then, you know, 10's kind of the same way where you can get down and around that corner a little bit easier to where you have maybe two less clubs in than what a fader would have. And two, if you can just let it roast and get around that turn, you, you don't worry about the right bunker and you're going to get a big bounce down. So you always have an opportunity to go for that green and two. So it's like, it's like stuff like that, those little things, that's where not only does Bryson have a huge advantage hitting it 14 miles further than everybody else, but he has a huge advantage in how he looks at golf courses. Like take like 18 at East Lake, for example, right? So we're, we're talking about, we always have to look at like, okay, if I could hit the ball 340 yards in the air at 150 feet, how would you play this hole to where it's the best? So like, I'm just looking on Google maps and like, kind of looking at like, well, if we go down 10 at East Lake, the hole's about 10 yards shorter. Plus we can hit driver as hard as we want. Cause then we don't have risk running out into the water long. And then for the pin that's tucked right over the bunker and the, the middle left pin, we have great angles in where we can land 14 short of that right pin, where if you're coming at the pin from the fairway, we can land two yards short. So it's like stuff like that, where he gets a huge edge is that he has that extra distance. He has that extra gear, but he's also willing to do that. He's willing to look at like, yeah, well, where do we need to go? He goes, just scout it out. Yeah. I said, this is where we need to hit this golf ball. If you hit it 330 yards, you're going to get to here. Our only real risk is that if it stays a little right on 10, or on, on 10 intense fairway, we're going to have to punch out, but then we have an 80 yard wedge shot. Anything left is good. He had seven iron onto the green uh, during the second round. We had to punch out during the fourth round and he hit a wedge on and made birdie anyways. So he is so willing to commit to something like that, that it's so much fun. And that's the hardest part of my job is figuring out. And this was a big transition for me was I play golf probably pretty close to the same way you two play golf. 
And then now I have to start looking. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's pump the brakes here, Zeke. Just no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Keep going. I would say from a distance perspective, a distance perspective, and a traditional way of playing the game perspective, we probably all have the same mentality of how we look at things. Now I got a caddy for a guy who has a 20 yard gap in between his clubs, hits the ball 25 feet higher than anybody else, hits the driver 35 yards further than everybody else, and I need to figure out how am I going to get him to play his best golf? And it made me, I completely rethink like how I would do course layout and stuff like that. And then, and strategy for a golf course for a player. So it's been awesome. When you play golf now, Ziggs, you just feel like a complete pansy ass. Like, Oh my God, (laughs) this is just like, this is kitty golf. This isn't even real shit. Yeah. A hundred percent. You're skewed for life. You'll never be happy with yourself ever again. and I think that's the hard part too. I think this is where like people who watch Tiger hit in like 2000 and like, that was like their image of what a perfect golf shot is like. That's what mine's like now of like, okay, Bryson hits his eight iron, 210 yards. Like I hit my eight iron 160. That's a 50 yard difference. Like that, <laughs> yeah, that it's tough. And he's hitting like, 70 in front of you. Correct. And so it's like, I'm like, man, like I don't even want to play golf now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've ruined the game yeah like i can't hit it 350 off the tee and i can't hit a six iron into this part five i gotta actually lay up so it's yeah, interesting and it's... then like yeah and like I, I work with a lpga tour player and you know we were just doing some wedge work and i'm just like yeah so we're at 80 yards like is this like just like a little lob wedge she's like uh it's you know she's like that's the top end of my lob wedge bottom end of my sand wedge and i'm like oh yeah sorry it just felt <laughs> terrible so yeah, like it was, Delgarina, um, you're making fun of her distance. Oh yeah, all the time. She needs to hit it further. <laughs> yeah, I'll let yeah, her know. Sure. Gain some weight. Well, yeah. The end of the story <laughs> is you made the proper decision, caddying for Bryson DeChambeau. There's no doubt about that. We could talk Doesn't about now. this all day, but we do have to get to the emergency nine. All right, are, this is this is where we have some fun. Sleaze, I'm gonna let you start it off this week. All right, Zeke, this is the one we ask to everybody. You get to trade lives with one person in the world, dead or alive, for one day. Who you got? Oh man! Um, if you say Bryson, you're such a kiss ass. Yeah, don't even try yeah, to. I know, yeah. I know. Tim <laughs> said that, so I can't say it. But I would like to. Okay, how about I would like to play a round of golf with his ability one time. So that's only four hours out of my day. Yeah. Um, the other twenty hours out of the day, who would I be? Okay, you're uh, you're way overthinking this. You don't get to change multiple people. For this is like the most analytical <laughs> answer ever. People are like LeBron. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I um, Albert Einstein. I don't know. That'd be cool. He's a really smart dude. Yeah, Sorry, that sounds. Bad that'd be answer. a boring ass day. You'd just be behind a desk all day doing like experiments. The crazy pictures? No, come on. All It'd right, Einstein. Einstein. Right, that's how Colt and I live every day. <laughs> okay, number two. Do you think Bryson takes the scientific approach he takes to golf to his dating life? Yes. <laughs> how is that possible <laughs> i love it yeah yeah so you have like s- spreadsheets on chicks like pros and yes. cons and then weight them in some formula is there a yes or no well, I, well like in know, along I came think, polly yeah i yeah, think he has yeah. like a, he has Ruben. a specific yeah he has like a specific type of woman that he would like to have in his life so he's not a yeah he's yeah, he for sure has that type of mentality. He has that mentality with everything, so it doesn't matter what. I love it. Yeah, I don't think that turns off ever from no, what I gather. No, no. All right, next one, Zeke. If I were to say the term Black Christmas, what oh, comes man. to mind first? Oh, man. 
that I'm still going to get in trouble from Trent for this one, for sure. I mean, this is, this is, this is not great. You're so far um, above him now, dude. <laughs> I am way not above him and I'm still scared. Like I knew you were going to ask me this and I was still nervous thinking about it this morning. Uh, Back in 2010, I, I thought that playing at Whisper Rock on Christmas when it was closed was a really good idea. And the nice part was the person that caught us let us finish playing that day. We played 36. We saw this guy on, like, the front nine. And then the next day when I came in for work, it didn't go over very well. Yeah, Trent, Trent wasn't very happy with me. Uh, and uh, I felt horrible about it. Um, and I still do to this day. Like I'm still scared of Trent to this day. So yeah, oh, he's so soft. Thanks. You don't need to be scared. <laughs> thanks for bringing that one up. It took balls to do that too. I respect that. The sneaking yeah. on on Christmas I, day. Yeah. I won like a couple hundred bucks too. So that was, oh, shit. That was it's worth it. Yeah. All yeah. right. Good work. All right. Yeah. Next one, you know, you know, it's kind of like caddy courtesy. Like you're walking by another player's bag and if their caddy's a little behind you, like pick it up for him. Do you ever pick up yeah. another player's bag and be like, damn, I really wish our bag was that light. All the time. Every bag that I've picked up has been like that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, so at the WGC at Memphis, you are playing with Dustin. And yeah. the second hole, you have to walk back to that third tee. And I'm standing over there talking, and AJ comes by. He's like, dude, pick up Bryson's bag. This thing is a fucking joke. <laughs> like, how? Yeah. Seriously, give, it, give, give the people at home an estimate of how much you think it weighs. Uh... And tournament days are the lightest days, just so y'all know. I mean, practice round days are the worst. Um, it's got to weigh 55 pounds. And it's not, like, it's not positioned very well. It's, like, the straps are super long. So, like, I think every caddy deal, like, and what I learned, too, is that I am the smallest caddy on tour. There's, like, three or four guys that are, like, my size or smaller. Everybody else is are bigger guys that are caddying out there. They're taller. So, like, this strap is so long. And, like, the bag, I can never get it to sit on my hips. So it's like, it's always in the shortest setting and it's always up and I am so hunched over. So like all my workout stuff is like, can I get to sit up a little bit more as I'm, as I can do this? So I can just do this job for a long period of time, because if I didn't do anything to get stronger, like I couldn't do this job for a long period of time because I'm not, I'm just not tall enough or, or big enough to just do it. So I'm, I'm actually in a big bulking phase right now. I'm trying to get up to 165 mm. by the time I whoa, get to Hawaii. Whoa. Relax. Yeah. 165. I know that's, that's 10 pounds, man. That's a lot. I was told man. I got to eat a lot of, a lot of white rice. Yeah. You're yeah. in good hands. I got a feeling <laughs> on how to put on some LBs. Yes. All right. Uh, so as you mentioned earlier, Bryson told me firsthand about a UFO encounter that he had in Dallas. Can you confirm that these sightings are legitimate? Uh, I can confirm. And there's actually a video confirmation of it. Um, and I know everybody who was there, there was multiple people there. It was not just one person. And then there was a big, um, like if you Googled that date, UFO sightings in Dallas, there were a lot of people that saw it as well. It was like three saucers flying around. He uh, went through it in depth. It was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So the video is just, is like, it's one and then it's like, it's gone. And like, it kind of like, cause you like big 10 X zoom in and then like, you know, the camera's kind of like moving around a lot and then it like moved and then it was just gone. So yeah, he said, they said they saw two, two or three saucers, whatever it was. Yeah. I wish I was there. I was bummed. Damn. Yeah. Me too. Awesome. Me too. Big well, into that. Take me, take me, take me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, my, that might be the answer to my next question. My next question is what does an off week look like for Bryson and what does he do for fun? Uh, work out, work out a lot. So there's we no such thing as an off week. There's no such so thing same as thing as an, as an on week. week. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, he's got a, he's got a place that he vacations that he goes to, but like, even there, like he's working out and, and playing golf, um, or hitting golf balls anyways. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, the, the most downtime I ever saw him have is when we both had COVID and we didn't get to go to the Olympics. So, I mean, we were down and out for like 10 days at his house, just quarantined there and eating a lot of chicken and rice and chicken noodle soup and, uh, sleeping a lot. What's on the TV oh, yeah. at Bryson DeChambeau's house? Well, that week we watched the Olympics. So thankfully the Olympics were on because, you know, you don't want to have to like figure out something to watch when you can't leave the house. So there, that was the Olympics all week. Uh, like MLB the- TV gets on there. And then there's a, uh, you know, we watch, um, <laughs> we watch a lot of these, a couple of these guys on Twitch who do um, like slot machines for a ton of money and like, I'm like, I'm not a slots person, like the gambling I like. I used to play poker. So it, um, I was like, yeah, this is going to be dumb. And we started watching it. And man, I think we watched it for like two hours. Like this guy, just like a thousand of push, like boom, 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 boom. And he's like, he's going crazy. He's like, ah, what's going on here? And then the guy won a million dollars. I'm like, I'm hooked for life. Like I will watch this guy push slots for a thousand bucks of a push and for life, because this is so much fun to watch. And I'm like, man, it's like, you feel like you get that gambling rush without having to lose any money. Damn. But yeah, that there's, there's, there's a quite a few of those guys that we watch and they're, they're funny. I got to get off pie gal and get into the slots. It's oh, not no, exciting watching pie gal for four hours. But I love, I, you could play pie gal for four hours with a hundred bucks and never lose a hand. And, and you can get, get totally blasted and walk out dead. Even it's the, it's the ultimate con. That is correct. And then there's another game that I, I just discovered cause I was just in Atlantic city um uh what is it called it's like a something flush game where you get dealt seven cards and you get a flush well like the second or third hand i'm playing all you're all you're looking for is flushes well i look at the queen of clubs the jack of clubs and then the ten of clubs were my first three cards i pulled and i'm looking at like these bonuses i've already got like an eight to one bonus and i got another two to one bonus next card king of clubs so now i have a four card straight flush and I'm like, oh my God. I was like, if I hit one more, like on 25 bucks, I'm getting a thousand to one. <laughs> I hit a two- city. Oh. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, could, I could buy the Wild West wherever I was at. And then the next, my next club's a two of clubs. So I, now I have five clubs, which is like a 10 to one bonus. I have a four card straight flush, which was like a 60 to one bonus. And then I go red, red. I'm like, ah, oh, perfect. And I looked down, I played this thing for like three hands. I won like 2,500 bucks. I was like, all right, cool. Thanks. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Shit. That's that it. was it. Yeah. Sign me up. So, Brainless yeah. money. So, but yeah, Always more, looking more for of it. like, I like playing Pie Gal because there's like, it's just fun to just sit there and kill time because I, I don't like playing blackjack. I don't like, I don't like doing any of those other things. So lots of Pie Gal if I'm going to sit and watch other people gamble. All right. That's a good little insight as to what you guys watch. Give us a little more here. Bryson's always got his headphones in. When he's practicing, yep. what's the most embarrassing song or artist on his playlist? He, I mean, it's not embarrassing. He listens to a lot of Coldplay. Oh, yeah. But yeah very, very emo, <laughs> super emo on the range. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of uh, like, I forget what. Uh, it's a lot of like no words. Like, uh, I don't like know. Inya. But it's like, yeah, it's like it's soft. It's good. It's like, it's, it's an easy listen. So yeah, that's that's a lot of what he's very spiritual to. man, very spiritual man. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, just get getting deep. No, okay. Katy Perry for Bryson DeChambeau. Very yeah, little, no, di- little disappointing. No. There might there might be some in there. There's a little bit of country right. on his playlist. 
good. Good man. Got to listen to the country every once in a while. Yeah. All right. First, when I ask you this, first thing that pops into your head, best shot you've ever seen Bryson DeChambeau hit? Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm not really good at this. The wedge shot that he hit in the fourth hole of the playoff hit the free feet uh, against Patrick Cantlay. He oh, yeah, when he'd already stuffed it hole. in? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I thought I maybe the drive say, at Ryder Cup. Yeah, the drive the on Cup. one or the drive on five at the Ryder Cup. Those are pretty good. That was really cool, but, like, I, I mean – I watch him hit drivers all the time, and I've, I've yeah, seen him. Like, like, to, to me, it's like, does he clutch up and hit the shot when he needs to hit the shot? That's more of the moment that I'm like, yes, that's it. That's what I wanted to see happen. Uh, sorry, I'll take that all back. 16th hole, he hits a, a eight iron from 243 yards at Caves Valley and hits it to two feet. That would be the best shot I've ever seen him hit. Eight iron from two forty three. Yeah, yeah that, that'll do it. Yeah, that's normal shit. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> with no, with with no win. Could be a no wind. Could be a soft seven in my world. It's nice when the four hundred and fifty yard drive doesn't even factor in. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. So, yeah, that, so that ain't so, shit. So like a little bit to that shot, right? So uh, I forget who. Maybe it was like Roger Malpe during a practice round. He goes, "I bet you can't hit it on this green." Well, of course, Bryson goes driver seven iron onto the green from the right rough. So now we're on uh, Saturday's round. Saturday's round. Just Friday's round. Oh, Friday or Saturday's round. Either one. Hits it up in kind of the, like the same spot that we were, but we were like another 10 back. So we're going through all this and like where we fell in the numbers was like, okay, if we think that this is going to fly 15 yards, it's a six iron would land you like 10 short. So, but I'm like, Hey, it's pretty amped up. He's hitting it pretty good. And like, that's the thing, like Bryson gets amped, not amped up, but like days where he swings it better. It's not like a two or three yard difference in clubs. It's like a 5% difference. So like, now we're factoring in 10 or 12 yards versus like, oh, I'm swinging it really good today. I'm hitting it two or three yards further. So I'm like, you're pretty amped up. You thinking what I'm thinking? He's like, yeah, eight iron. And I'm like, yeah, eight iron sounds great. So I just hand him the eight iron and I step back. I'm like, there's no chance this is getting to the green. And he hits it. And I'm like, got to get up. Well, lands pin high, goes to the back of the green, comes back down. Came back, and yeah. the and the guy and the guy that's walking the uh the guy who was an old caddy who's asking like what club is that and i'm like and he's like do you mean do you mean do you mean six i said and he's like and i just show him the eight iron with all the mud on it <laughs> i'm like eight iron and he goes bryson just hit an eight iron from 243 yards to two feet i can't believe it <laughs> i'm like that that's is awesome. so good yeah is it's so different good. It is yeah, different it is. for sure. It is. All right. Last one, Zeke. And we'll let you get out of right. here. Who, right. who has a weaker pullout game? You with the flag stick or Antonio Cromartie just in general? <laughs> oh man. I mean, you I know, know you get it. Yeah. Everybody's been in that situation <laughs> and um, I just happened to do it in front. It wasn't like, I mean, whatever it was, what Saturday of the Ryder cup with 7,000 people around the green. Nobody saw it. So I became a meme and that was pretty cool. Like we, uh, we've actually designed a logo that'll be coming out. That is like, looks like me rattling a flag stick. So Beautiful. yeah, full on panic mode. I mean, it's like, it's like you saw the guy do it. Like I was, there was some sand in there and I'm like, I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm tending the flag. This is the first time. This is the first time I've ever tended a flag. Like we don't tend flags anymore in tournaments and like, you know, usually, so you're supposed to pull it out and like kind of rest it in there. Well, uh, I've caddied six times, so I don't really know that. So I, I took it out and then I put it back in <laughs> and then he hits the putt and like, I'm 
probably pulling it a little bit sideways and it doesn't want to come out. But then after, like, once everything's calmed down and, like, John Rom walked over and Bryson walked over, like, I'm still trying to get it out. And, like, now I'm starting to pull the cup up. <laughs> so I'm like, mm-hmm. just have the official come over and do this. <laughs> and then he comes over and just goes, Whoop. I'm like, great, great. And I well, just turn listen, around and you, I just, you know, and I just you held the flag stick up. <laughs> yeah, yeah you've, you've officially made it now that there's a meme about you, though. Right, right. And, good it, point. and during And during the singles match with Sergio, it took him nine holes before he said anything. Because I said, do you want me to pull the flag out for you? He goes, if you can manage that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, damn, I was expecting this on, like, the first hole. <laughs> so I've embraced it. It's fine. It's great. You know, I'm a yeah, meme. You, yeah. A lot of people dying to be a meme out there. <laughs> and you've done it already. Well, Zeke, we appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. I think you made the right decision going with Bryson and uh, nothing but big things coming up for you guys. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. This was fun. You got it. Thank you. That was Bryson DeChambeau's bagman, Brian Ziegler, joining us here on Golf Sub Bar. I mean, what a crazy ride he's been on lately. Yeah, I mean, from busting balls at the range of Whisper Rock a handful of years ago to now on the bag, Ryder Cup, Majors, WGCs. He couldn't. There's nothing he can be thrown into now that's going to phase him at all. I mean, like you said, first event, he gets out there, major championship thrown into the middle, like at the at the peak, I would say, of the Brooksy Bryson stuff. Had to do all that type of deal. Ryder Cup immediately. And just not only that, but like he's a caddy and waiting. All right, he's around Bryson a whole lot. But being aware of what Bryson needs and then actually going into and just learning how to be a caddy too. Like I think there was probably a long time there where he was like, just don't mess up. Let's get everything this guy needs and let's keep it moving. Yeah, and like no disrespect to you. I mean, you're a world-class caddy. Correct. But you couldn't just show up out of the golf subpar studios and caddy for Bryson DeChambeau. No, Bry- Bryson would take me two years of learning all the <laughs> shit that he needs. To go. Exactly. It would take me ages. I think it would take any caddy months and months and months to get it towards like, here's the progress, here's what you go through, here's all the info. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's, it's different. There's no doubt. He requires a lot more. He goes about things a different way. But it's fascinating the way they do go about it, and it's turning out to be really successful. We mentioned, I mean, he, they lost a playoff at Kays Valley to a guy who pretty much broke most putting records on the PGA Tour in Patrick Cantlay. And it takes a week like that for someone to beat Bryson when he is driving it the way he is. I mean, at Kays Valley at the Ryder Cup, we, he was hitting 350-yard just seeds down the middle of the fairway. And like I said before, I've heard from other really, really, really high-ranked players, they're like, if he drives it that way for four days, it's really hard to beat him. There's only a few guys I think you could – if Bryson sets up and hits driver in the middle of the fairway over and over, there's only a few guys I think they can that could hang with him at that time. And we haven't seen him run away from fields more or less other than the Open cha- – excuse me, other than the U.S. Open. But if he does, it's going to take something like Patrick Cantlay did. And by the way, Bryson still had multiple chances to win that golf tournament with putts that, you know, he didn't hold. He still could have done it, even with the best putting week in the history of golf since they started keeping stats. Yeah, and and he, he did what all great caddies – do he left the pin sheet of course at one point. Dude, you got to chest your guy early say look you got to set the bar i am gonna fuck up numerous times we're gonna do it here on the first hole just so you get it used to it and he almost dude the not getting the pin out at the Ryder cup i was watching that lot i was like oh my god this yeah. is gonna happen he's gonna pull the entire cup out it's gonna be a huge huge debacle but he got the antonio cromarty reference which i was i didn't know he he's did probably heard that. enough jokes at this point about it but he got antonio cromarty he did but one of the things going back to like the beginning is when you know they talked about him possibly caddying he took a couple months to think about it where I was kind of surprised. I'm kind of like, okay, listen, you're, you're a teaching pro. Some teaching pros make great money. Some don't, but here's a chance where you can go out and really make a great living caddying from one of the best players in the world. But he also, at the end of the day, he knows it's, there's a lot being asked of him. So it was a tough choice, but I was surprised 
that he thought about it for a good two months. It's probably the toughest caddy job on the PGA Tour in terms of time and what it demands of you. But also, almost any person in the world I think that's offered that would jump at it. And I talked to him pretty much like right after he got it. I was like, dude, congratulate. This is awesome. And we talked a little bit. And I was shocked at the time to hear like it wasn't a slam dunk. It wasn't even though it was caddy and waiting. When the job actually came up, it was like, all right, I got to think about what all this entails. Because he's stepping away from teaching, and that was something he wanted to get into and all that. But it's a pretty big opportunity. And you fly nice to tournaments, too. Yeah, if you get get, get on the bird with Bryson, I mean, you, you fly private. There's a Bentley sitting there waiting on you. Pretty good gig. He's probably not living exactly like Gino Benelli on the road. Maybe no, slightly different. Well, thanks to Brian Ziegler for joining us. Sleaze, we almost had a winner. With FanDuel this past week, we gave him Colin Morikawa, which was one of the favorites at the CJ Cup. Just fell short by a shot to Roy McIlroy. But it is once again time to add, to add a little excitement to your golf-watching experience by betting on it at the FanDuel Sportsbook. There's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Their app is very simple to use. They got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay, exclusive always-on promotions such as enhanced odds boost on the biggest events to let you get more action out of every game day or get amongst it, as we like to say here. And if and when you win, Slays, they even get your winnings in safely as 24 hours. Yeah, dude, they got tons of betting options, player props, futures, same-game parlays, which I uh, dipped into quite heavily this week, did come up empty. Our producer, Mark, by the way, is running on some crazy heater right now with the parlays. I was trying to ride that wave a little bit. But you got live betting. It's easy to place your bet faster in a game if you see a trend you like. And the odds boosts and specials. Every day you got some super big boosts each weekend get something you like, they're going to bump it from plus 110 to plus 160, something like that. Nice way to try to make a little cash. Yeah, be on the lookout for our subpar odds boost coming this way for the Zozo Championship. And right now, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game or golfer, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. Seriously, there's no strings attached. Just place any bet you want. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. All right, Sleaze, let's get to our picks this week for the Zozo. We're over in Japan. The boys jumped on a charter from Las Vegas, headed across to Japan. Uh, pretty strong field. Got the likes of Xander Schauffele in the field, Hideki Matsuyama. Um, going to be a very, very interesting one. They're going to be back in a bubble over there, which a little uncomfortable. Only 5,000 fans a day. But there is money to be made, my friend. And... We said Colin Morikawa last week. Almost got it done for I us. Almost had him on the home track. All right. Well, for me this week, as my favorite, he's going off at 12 to 1. Nobody knows Japan better than this guy, Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. Hard to argue against. I like Hideki over there. I was very much leaning towards Xander Schauffele. Has a nice little track record over there as well. Just got himself a gold medal. I'm going a little bit further down the board. We don't know much, if anything, about this golf course, who it suits, who it doesn't suit, all that type of thing. So I'm just going with a guy that I think is on the precipice of winning some golf tournaments, more golf tournaments. Joaquin Neiman at 20 to 1. Tee to green, he's awesome. It's just when does that putter cooperate with him? But I'm going to go just a little bit down the board. Joaquin Neiman, take a little bit of a shot there. 20 to 1, I'll go with him if he can catch a hot putter. All right, I like it. I'm going to go with a guy who just came off a heater in Vegas. Just shot a little final round 61. For my dark horse, he's going off at 41 to 1. Emiliano Grillo. Yeah. Love this man. Absolutely stripes the golf ball. If he gets the putter going, which he obviously did on Sunday, look out. But listen. You shoot a little 61, got to give you a little confidence going into next week. I would think so. If that doesn't do it, I don't know what you're looking for. He's the guy I, would, I think has a strong similarities to Joaquin Neiman. 
Kind of tee to green, really good when the putter cooperates. Tough to beat. I'm staying around that 40 to 1 mark, just a little bit less. I'm going to go with the guy that's had a good start to the year. Plays nice west, and he's heading even more west than California. I'm going to go Maverick McNeely at 34 to 1. I think he's just kind of been around the tour long enough now, starting to get his feet wet, and I think he's poised for a big year, but already got one good finish under his belt. Just got clipped by Max Homa, but Maverick McNeely. 34 to 1. That's my dark horse. All right. We'll get amongst it with our guys over at FanDuel. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Go to FanDuel.com slash subpar or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code subpar so they know that we sent you. Must be 21 years and older and present in Arizona or New Jersey. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 or 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Sleaze. We got another banger of an episode Oof. coming up next week. It gets a little loose here. This guy, one of the most entertaining guys out on the PGA Tour, James Jimmy Hahn, joins us. And it is will not disappoint, I promise you that. If you don't already love Jimmy, you're about to. Because there's some stories that you might find, you may find um, abnormal for the um, – you know, long-time tour pro, given the amount of money they make. Jimmy Boy, still hunting for deals. Didn't right. stop him. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar. Bar.